The Bob Murphy Show, episode 307. you gonna do get ready for another episode of the bob murphy show the podcast promoting free markets free minds and grateful souls it's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a christian and economist now here's your host bob murphy hey everybody welcome back to the bob murphy show today i am going to do a thoroughgoing review of the Transformers movie, not the more recent stuff that are borderline abominations. I'm talking about the 1986 animated movie that featured the original uh, renditions that those of us who grew up in the 80s thought of as the Transformers cartoon. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. Let me just say as a preamble, I understand there is a certain irony in me doing a movie review of what was a kid's movie that came out in 1986. I get it. But even though I understand it's somewhat humorous that I'm doing this, I am serious in the things I'm saying, right? So this isn't a joke. Like the reason I'm doing this is because I think this movie was amazing and, you know, I've watched it with my kids and I just every time I I just kept thinking this movie had more going on than I even realized. This is amazing. All the wisdom they packed into this thing. Okay. So that's what I want to get across sort of as a payment of homage to what these people did who made this movie. Also, I'm going to at least do another episode like this, doing the same thing for Kung Fu Panda, just to warm you up and get you ready for that. All right. Are you going to say, are you going to do other ones? I don't know. But if they're as good as the Transformers movie and Kung Fu Panda, then I think so. Okay, last thing I'll say is with some of this stuff, I'm going to really get into the nitty-gritty and just make some observations that unless you were a kid who liked the Transformers and then saw this movie and thought it was amazing, you're probably not going to have any idea what I'm even talking about. So if you've never seen the movie, you might want to skip this episode. That's what I'm going to say. I'm making this episode... For the true fans. Okay, so big picture, this movie is all about leadership. And specifically, the transformation of Hot Rod into Rodimus Prime. Okay, and so I'm going to, in a moment here, just start going through. What happened is, once I knew I was going to do an episode on this, I just watched the movie with my phone sitting next to me and kept jotting down notes of stuff that, hell, I want to comment on that. So this is going to operate more like, you know, the director's cut on some DVD <laughs> that you got where you go through the film and the guy stops it every three seconds to say something. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to do because I think it would not be worth it to try to organize it in a more systematic fashion. But let me just mention, you know, the, the theme of this and the what I'm going to be trying to get across and what guided me as I was jotting down notes is in the beginning, I mean, they call him Hot Rod, right? He's a punk kid. In fact, the guy Cup refers to him as a punk. Okay, and he is responsible for Prime dying. 
Hot Rod made a very bad judgment call, and he was directly responsible for getting Optimus Prime killed. All right, so we should not brush over that fact. And then by the end of the movie, who's the new leader of the Autobots? This guy. Except now he's called Rodimus Prime. And what I want to point out is just how they pulled off that gradual transition throughout the movie is really impressive because it, it was very subtle. The movie was fast-paced, and it, it was funny, too. I'll mention that. I mean, that, that was the thing, too, that I just took away from last night is just how funny the movie was and you know just how good the writing was. Um, and so you, you don't – it doesn't jump out at you necessarily. I mean, some of the major stuff, you know, you knew, but – I'm just saying I just saw more and more clues to show you that, no, you know who the leader of the Autobots is going to be? It's going to be Hot Rod because he has all the qualities necessary to be the successor to Optimus Prime. Like who wants to fill those shoes? But, you know, who's up to the task? Hot Rod is, even though at first it doesn't seem very likely that it would be him. Okay, so that's what I want to get through. But let me just mention in terms of the production quality and just how amazing this was, I didn't realize some of these names they had to do the voices. So Unicron is played by Orson Welles, and that was actually his final voice acting role. Um, Peter Cullen is Optimus Prime. Eric Idle from Monty Python fame was in the cast. He He's the guy, I think it's the Junk Island, the guy talks real fast and does like slogans they learn from watching TV. You know, hurry, act now, while supplies last. He's just always like rattling off TV commercial quotes. Uh, Casey Kasem, Judd Nelson, Leonard Nimoy is Galvatron's voice, Robert Stack, and Frank Welker. I'm not myself familiar with the work of Frank Welker, but this article I'm looking at said that. All right, so again, not too shabby. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into it. All right, so the, right out of the gate. Well, well actually, I, I take that back even before. Um, the the theme music, they, they, they did a perfect job. It's, it's the original cartoons theme music. You know, the more than meets the eye. And, but they made it rockier for the movie like there's more guitar and it's just heavier but it's the same basic structure it's just you know it's like when um you know like if they take some classic sinatra song or bobby darren song or something then put it in the club with a you know but it's still you know bj thomas or something i can't stop this feeling whatever and but they're they just jazz it up no Mixed metaphor intended. That's what they did with the, just even the theme music to this. All right. So again, when as a kid just watching this, it was like, oh, this is what I know. But they made it into a motion picture. Like they pulled it off. I guess that's one way of saying it too. Like there's lots of shows that like it was an awesome TV show, and then they tried to turn it into a movie. And in some cases, they did a really good job. In other cases, it blew up in their faces. Whereas, you know, this is a clear-cut example of where they took the magic, what made the, car, the the series work, the TV series, and then they leapfrogged that into just a really 
perfect movie that was good because it excelled in all the things that the, the original series was good at. Okay. So once the movie itself opens, boom, it sucks you right. It shows Unicron coming. And at first you don't even know what the heck it is. And then it starts approaching a planet and in this, or I mean, I guess it's a planet, but it's, it's small. And they really like it, it before Unicron gets there and starts shaking everything. Like it gets to in their vicinity. They're showing like people at a mall and they have like little, you know, ki- they're all robots by the way. And, but they have like little kid robots, like that are with their parents going shopping in the mall and whatever, like they're riding an escalator or something. Right. So it's, you know, they're, they're trying to get across the fact that, yeah, this guy Unicron just comes and just obliterates like a whole civilization. Like there was a whole society here that he's just going to wipe out because he just turns their planets into his, you know, he digests them. Okay. So in terms of just like a foe, this thing is like, whoa, that's a serious issue that, you know, the Autobots didn't typically have to worry about in the series. Okay, so right, just the the villain in this is amazing. Okay, it cuts over to, um, they explain, or you know, like a narrator comes in and voices it over, and explains that the Decepticons have retaken Cybertron, and the Autobots are on two different moon bases of Cybertron, and they still have a base on Earth. Now, it, in fairness, well, not in fairness, I don't know <laughs> what it, and, uh, I have to be honest, put it that way, even though I'm praising the movie, like, you know, there's some things that just didn't quite make sense. And so here, it wasn't obvious to me what the point of having the base back on Earth was, because Prime is explaining, like, we got to send a shuttle, and, you know, one of the other guys like, Prime, when are we going to kick some Decepta tail or something? And... Prime has to say, no, we don't have enough energon yet to launch a full-scale attack. So maybe like the base on Earth is where they're harvesting energon and sending it back. I'm, I'm not, they didn't spell it out. But consistent with that explanation, because Megatron explains to Starscream that no, once we take out the Autobots base on Earth, they're finished. So, okay. Anyway, the Decepticons learn of Prime's intention to send a shuttle from, again, the Cybertronian moon to Earth, to, you know, Autobot City based on Earth, because Laserbeak, you know, is in there looking around. And it's always interesting that Laserbeak flies even through space with its wings, the way, you know, it flies on Earth with an atmosphere. But in any event, um, so Laserbeak records that and then goes back to show Megatron and as as Laserbeak's coming in, Megatron's like, ah, Laserbeak, unlike some of my warriors, you never fail me. And it, you know, comes and perches on his arm. So what's funny is, because part of what I'm going to say in a minute when I get to the, you know, the best part of the movie of when Prime and Megatron fight and the reaction of the Decepticons is just what a just punk Starscream is. But I realized, you know, when I watched it this time to take notes, that, oh, yeah, in the beginning, like, Megatron is constantly putting down Starscream, too, right? So it's not just that Megatron's doing his thing and then his first, you know, his, his number one 
is always plotting against him. It's also that Megatron is constantly belittling Starscream. So it's like, yeah, no wonder Starscream wants to get rid of him. You know, so anyway, there's that. Megatron would be a hard boss. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Okay, so the shuttle is coming to Earth, and um, and the sub, you know, so the, the Decepticons know that's going to happen because of Laserbeak's espionage, and so they launch a sneak attack and they break in. And what's interesting here, like in terms of setting the movie apart from the kids series, is they murder those the Autobots that are in that shuttle. Like you can just tell from the way the like the blasts hit them and they fall down and like smoke comes out of one guy's mouth. That wouldn't happen in the like they were they're letting you know he's dead. That's what the point, you know what I mean? Like they did a good job of letting you know that. And so like you're realizing as a kid watching this, like, oh wow, this is serious. And um but still it was somewhat discreet that uh in particular um you know, Megat- Megatron's explained to Starscream their plan. Like, no, once we, because we took over their shuttle, we're going to slip past their outer defenses and we're going to be able to just, you know, smash Autobot City before they even realize it's us. And the Autobot, who's very damaged on the ground, and I, I forget which, which one it was, he goes, no. And he, you know, grabs Megatron's leg. And Megatron just looks down and he's like, such heroic nonsense, and you know, blasts him with his sidearm cannon there. But it doesn't actually show the blast hitting the guy's face, is what I'm getting at. So they still let you know what was going on, but it wasn't graphic. And, and I, again, I think it was like the perfect balance. That's what I'm saying. The movie, they made a bunch of decisions, and I can't second guess just about anything they did. Okay, so again, starting. He said, now we're getting into, we were introduced now to Daniel, and Daniel is uh, Spike's son. I was blanking on what Spike's name was. So Spike was the teenage kid in the original series. Like his, you know, his dad was around also, and, you know, like they were all friends with the Autobots. But now Spike is older and has his own son, Daniel, right? So that's interesting. So now we're, you know, we're not, the action's now on Earth, and we're introduced to Hot Rod, who's new. Like, you know, he wasn't, I don't know if he ever appeared before this movie, but I certainly, he certainly was not a regular. Uh, and the Decepticons show up. And so what's interesting is, well, actually, no, I, I take it, I think I get my timing mixed up. I think this happened first. So he's driving, right, because they want to go see the shuttle land. So, He's like, come on, Daniel, ride in style, and transforms, and Daniel's, you know, in Hot Rod now, driving down the side of the mountain, and Cup is there, who's like the old-timer guy, and he's like setting up some kind of cones in the road or something with some other Autobot, and then Hot Rod just comes flying by and like knocks him over and stuff, and so it's interesting. So Cup says something like, you punk, I'll straighten you out yet. So that's interesting because again, he's calling him a punk and they really are, you know, driving that home in the beginning and, you know, as the movie starts that Hot Rod is, is a punk. He, you know, he's not, he's not bad. He's not malicious, but he's just reckless and he's not taking things seriously. So 
But what's interesting is that Cup doesn't just call him a punk. He says, I'll straighten you out yet, right? So even there, there's the hint that, yeah, right now that guy's obnoxious and, uh, you know, he's not a great asset to our team, but I know he's got potential. And that's foreshadowing at the end of the movie when he comes out for the first time as Rodimus Prime and everybody sees him. Cup says, I always knew you had potential, lad, or something like that. Right. So it's, it's, Cup is not at that point contradicting himself. It's not like, oh, geez, now that you're Rodimus Prime, I'm your buddy. And I, and, oh, oh, yeah, I always knew that, no, that he's, he's not bluffing there. He's not changing his stance to now, you know, cater, kiss up to the new boss. That's not what's going on there. He really did from the beginning, even right after Hot Rod messes with his work and like, makes him have to jump out of the way as he zooms by. Even in that moment of anger, he says, you punk, you know, I'll straighten you out yet. Okay, so again, I, I know I'm dwelling on that point for a bit, but they really just did it well. They integrated it all together like to show, you know, the environment that Hot Rod developed in and then to show his transition. Okay. So, yes, he's reckless, but it also shows he's got the right instincts and his, his heart is in the right place and he's courageous. Okay. So, um, he and Daniel are at the lookout mountain or rock or something like, you know, on a ledge so they can see the shuttle coming in. But then hot rod sees there's a hole in it and he's like, what? And then he says, Oh, it's deceptive. You know, cause he like zooms in with his, uh, you know, some kind of like, glasses thing visor comes down over his eyes or something and he zooms in and sees there's a gaping hole in the shuttle and he can see starscream standing there and he goes decepticons and just starts shooting so what's interesting is that's his instinct it's it's like han solo when he's in cloud city and going around and he thinks he's like going out to dinner with leia and she's all dolled up and he's like yeah all right uh, had some, you know, made up with my old friend Lando Calrissian, and it, and then they open the door, and Darth Vader is sitting at the table. And what does Han do? Right? It would have been entirely acceptable to just be like, <gasps> or to to try to run, you know, to grab Leia and say, "We gotta get out of here, back to the Falcon." But no, what does Han do? He just immediately pulls his gun out and starts shooting at Darth Vader. And likewise. Hot Rod, what does he do when you look up and you see there's a gaping hole in the shuttle that's going right towards Autobot City and you realize, uh-oh, that thing is chock full of Decepticons and they must have killed our buddies instead of being shocked, instead of like getting on the intercom and saying, Ultra Magnus, what should I do? Instead, he says, Decepticon, and just starts blasting them. <laughs> so, okay. And then the Decepticons fire back uh you know dislodge the rock or whatever that they're standing on and they're falling and hot rod goes daniel right like he's horrified that oh no so that's what i'm saying that he, his heart is in the right place he's a good autobot that he is horrified at the idea that because he gets into a firefight with decepticons that this little human boy might be collateral damage and so he goes and, and catches daniel and then you know lands safely and then transforms, you know, puts Daniel in them and just starts driving back to Autobot City. Okay. Um, and then and Cup saves him. 
right? There was a one of the Decepticons, like the one that turns into a tank, was as a tank and was like, and the turret was going down and uh, locking in on Hot Rod, and Cup transforms into his vehicle and zooms up and then transforms and grabbed the turret and pulled it up just as it was firing, so it missed him. Okay, so right at that point, Cup saved Hot Rod's life, and then Hot Rod's going to return the favor later in the movie. Right, but again, just underscoring in the beginning, Hot Rod is a hot mess and needs the older guys to save his butt. Okay. They're driving back to Autobot City. Um, okay, what's interesting is people are go up to so Ultra Magnus is the guy on the you know on the spot in command of Autobot City. And and when he's there and learns the news of what's going on, um, he's he's not flustered. He's like, okay, you know, Perceptor, go tell Blaster to radio to Radio Prime, and then you guys, uh, RC, and da-da, you go uh, transform Autobot City. I can't think of what the green guy's name is. Transform Autobot City, and da, 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 and he's you know he's giving orders, and he's cool and collected, right? And that's normally how things would be like in the star Trek series, right? If Kirk something happened to him, then Mr. Spock would be in charge of the enterprise. And Mr. Spock was awesome. And if something happened to him, then Scotty, I think took over. Um, and he was good to, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, Oh wow. The enterprise is in trouble because Mr. Scott is in charge. No, it was like, Oh, look at this. He's not normally up there on the bridge, giving orders to, you know, raise the shields or whatever. Okay, so and then likewise with the Transformers is the, the TV series. It's just like the, everybody was awesome. The good guys were the good guys, right? But in this movie, as we'll see, right now Ultra Magnus is all right, but he cannot be in charge of all the Autobots. He's okay being in charge of Autobot City, where if things get really hairy, the order is go tell Prime, and he'll he'll know what to do. Okay. Hot Rod and Cup are driving back to the city. The Decepticons are attacking, and the city is being transformed. And they're going, and then they look up, and the there's two Insecticons that are like munching on the the, the external shell of Autobot City as these big blast doors are closing. So Hot Rod and Cup have to hurry up and you know drive into Autobot City before the doors close and lock them out. And so Cup says he's looking. He goes. The Insecticons are in our way. And he's a little bit concerned, right? He's he's not just like mentioning it casually. Like he's basically saying, what are we going to do? And then Hot Rod says, nope, they're our way in. And then, you know, he smashes one and then like launches like turbo boost. And then the other one that's munching like right under where the door frame is, you know, he smashes as he drives in. And then, you know, Cup does the same thing. So, Starting to show again little glimpses of oh yeah Hot Rod has a lot of potential because they're like yeah he was reckless but on the other hand he's fearless and that's a good thing and so he doesn't get panicked right so in that situation when Cup was like uh oh how are we gonna you know we're gonna get locked out here in a minute and shoot there's two Insecticons in front of us what are we gonna do and then Hot Rod realizing no that's exactly what we're gonna do this is our ticket in okay. A very interesting um, dichotomy 
So Perceptor, he's the guy that turns into the microscope. So he runs up to Blaster, the guy that turns into like the, what do you call it, boombox? I think that's what we call it. Um, he's, he's like the Autobot version of Soundwave. Um, so Blaster is in this turret, just like, like moving the guns, like these big guns for Autobot City around, you know, shooting at the Decepticons who are flying all over the place and, you know, shooting at them. And he's just having a a bl- no pun intended. I was going to say he's having a blast. That I wasn't. I wasn't trying to say that. All right. So, the Perceptor comes up, and Blaster's like, "Hey, Perceptor, what's shaking, man?" And he's shooting. You know, he's just having a great time, like he's playing a video game. And then Perceptor says, "Ultra Magnus sends orders to contact you know Optimus Prime on Moon Base One." And he goes, all right, cover your receptors, Perceptor. And he transforms and starts going like, Autobot City, or sorry, uh, Optimus Prime, this is Autobot City. We're really taking a beating. Don't know how much longer we can take it. Megatron's blitzing Autobot City. Da-da-da-da. And so he's going through. So my point is what, what I just noticed last night when I was watching it is he went from just being totally like, this is awesome. This is like a fun and I'm just having a great time. What's going on? To, oh, yeah, let me go ahead and get on the horn and, and tell Optimus Prime that I'm not sure how long we can hold off the Decepticons. <laughs> That's a very serious transmission. But yet, hey, you know what? Maybe we die today. Who knows? So that's interesting. And then um, the Megatron sees that they're radioing for help. And so he says, Soundwave, jam that transmission. And those, the you know, laser beacon ravage and uh, the guys that uh, have like the pile driver hands, they all get ejected and go, and and they break into that. And they at first they land on Perceptor, and so Perceptor's like grappling with two of them, and so he says, "Blaster, go save yourself." Okay, and so I think I'm just showcasing, as we'll see in a minute, the huge gulf between how the Autobots roll and how the Decepticons are. Right, because the Decepticons are all backbiting, treacherous, looking out for numero uno, all of them, fighting, and they're going to eventually be fighting over who gets to be the next leader. And in contrast, the Autobots, you know, I'll, I'll talk more about it when we get there in terms of the chronology. They're, of course, not going to be like that. I'm just saying they're so noble and, and altruistic that, you know, their instinct is, oh, wait a minute here, let me hold these Decepticons down so you can escape. I'll take one for the team, whereas the Decepticons, again, are the exact opposite. It's like, what can I do so that I'm okay and something bad's going to happen? You know, let one of these other schmucks take it. Okay. Let's take a break from the action, folks, to remind you that if you like what you're hearing on the Bob Murphy Show, it would be great if you gave some support. So go to bobmurphyshow.com slash contribute to figure out the details. But hey, this isn't a shakedown. I'm going to do it whether or not you support, but it does help. Thanks, everybody. Let's get back to the action. We get in. Uh, Megatron orders the Constructicons to turn into Devastator. He just starts ripping stuff up. Um, one of the Autobots, like a real manly guy, says, I got better things to do today than die. And so he starts pushing a rocket launcher into place. So it's good. And... At some point, it might have been a little bit before this, Cup and Hot Rod show up to help. And they're like all leaning into this like heavy bit of equipment to turn the gun around or something. 
And so RC, who's the female Autobot, who also, you know, it, it, they, you could just tell how old they are, even though, you know, it's kind of funny to think like the robots, do they just get bigger or something? But, you know, she's clearly like in her 20s, let's say, and Hot Rod also was like in his 20s in terms of his behavior. Um, and so he shows up and so she says, oh, you know, Hot Rod, we were worried you got locked out of the city. And he says, I wasn't worried for a microsecond. And then she says, well, then you probably didn't understand the situation. So again, just showcasing Hot Rod is is reckless. You know what I mean? Like he he just acts real, oh, nothing bothers me and I'm not flustered by anything. And, da, da, da. and so it's, again, like it's good that he didn't panic when the Insecticons were blocking. And it was good that, you know, he just immediately reacted and started shooting at the Decepticons instead of being stunned and terrified. But as we'll see in a moment, that recklessness is, <laughs> can be fatal. Okay, so now we finally get to the best sequence, one of the best sequences in all of movie history, as far as I'm concerned. Megatron says, all right, they're, you know, defenses are broken. Now let the slaughter begin or something. And then he, he's just about, and then it's Megatron who first hears and looks up and he sees this other shuttle now coming in, and then it's inside, and Prime says, Dinobots, destroy Devastator. Okay, Prime never gave an order like that on a TV show. He might say, you know, go protect people from Devastator, or, you know, go, uh, you know, you guys got to handle Devastator, but to say Dinobots, destroy Devastator, that's a serious order. But partly what explains the difference is, at no time in the television television series was Prime coming into a situation where Megatron had already killed, you know, eight Autobots, whereas that's what's going on in this scenario. All right, and so then Grimlock says, Me, Grimlock, love challenge. Dinobots transform. And they all go down. And even here, it's interesting, like just the writing, Devastator takes out Grimlock and the, what is it, a Brontosaurus, like the two toughest ones. But then it's the next wave of Dinobots that knocks them over. So again, just it was a real fair fight. Like the writing was good, and like where they had the, the forces balanced, like that was fair because it could, you know, Devastator is super tough. And in the show, typically the only way you could match Devastator would be if you had the Autobots who merged. I think they were like planes or something. It turned into, you know, that was like I think the first thing the Autobots had to counter Devastator was they had their team that did. I think again, I think it was planes. It would do it, but here, but they also have it be the case that the, the Dinobots are super tough. Like their outer shell is just like relatively impervious to things, and so that's also the case. And so here again, just to show how cool the movie was, that I don't think we've ever seen in the series what would happen if the Dinobots all together went up against Devastator, and yet that's what's happening here. Okay. So then we get to the best 10 seconds of movie history where Prime says, Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost. And then transforms and then the the touch by Stan Bush kicks in and he starts going. What's interesting is there's at least two other Autobots in the shuttle still with Prime. You know, as he's looking on the scene and then transforms and starts rolling. Like you, you would, might think he would say, Autobots transform and roll out or, hey, you two, let's go. But no, <laughs> he just says, okay, yep, I see 
Megatron and eight other Decepticons run into Autobot City. I got this. And goes. And, you know, so he he's driving deliberately. Like, that. when I was younger, I didn't fully catch that. But now when I'm watching it, you know, on my laptop, eight inches from my face, I could notice certain details. And the first Decepticon that Prime takes out, it's the, the red jet. I forget what his name is. Like, Prime has to turn the wheel. In other words, like, it's not just that they were in his way as he was trying to get to Megatron. Prime knew I'm going to have to take out every single Decepticon in front of me right now. And so the ones in the beginning, he would just run over. And then when they started shooting him, then he transformed and got his gun and just boom, 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 took out like four of them and landed and then you know took out another three or something like that. Then he comes up, sees Megatron. So here... What is funny is Megatron says, no, I'll, uh, what does he say? I forget what verb he uses, but he says, you know, I'll do whatever to you with my bare hands. I'll crush you with my bare hands or something like that. Um, it, but as Josiah Neely pointed out one time when I was talking about the Transformers on Twitter, what's funny is, no, Megatron very quickly like throws a, uh, a big spike thing, like it was made out of a rock at at Prime. Uh, He shoots at him, and then he activates some kind of laser sword that I've never seen before the movie. All right, so that that seems like a bit more than his bare hands. And what's funny is I think Unicron's alluding to that because later on when Megatron's damaged and floating in space and interacts with Unicron, Megatron says, uh, you know, the point is, I killed Prime with my bare hands. Or no, sorry. He says the I kill you. Don't have nothing to fear about the Matrix leadership. I killed Optimus Prime with my bare hands. And then Unicron says, "You exaggerate." And then he says, "Well, the point is, Prime's dead and the Matrix with him." But that's what's when Unicron says, "You exaggerate." I think what he meant was you didn't kill him with your bare hands. Okay. the The only problem I have with the movie, like, major problem, is. Is unbelievably awesome as that was, where Prime, you know, says Megatron must be stopped. No matter the cost, transforms. They start playing. You got the touch, and all that stuff. The actual fight between Prime and Megatron, that was okay too. I'm, I'm, it's not like, oh, I wish they did something else. My only objection is, especially in the case of Megatron, not that much happened to him to make him all cracked up and down and on the verge of death, like Prime punched him in the face once and threw him once and maybe hit him one other time. It was like a total of three things that he did to him. And so, you know, that would not have made Megatron on his deathbed. And yet that's the way it, it came out. So that was my only quibble is like, again, I say, if you watch that fight scene and just keep track of what actually did prime do to Megatron, it wasn't that devastating. Now, what's interesting is, so here, of course, we come to the old screw-up that Hot Rod does, just to refresh your memory. So they make it crystal clear. Prime wins the fight. right? That's what I'm saying. They, they do this expertly. They have everything you'd want. Prime wins the fight. So they're establishing if it's just Megatron versus Prime, Prime wins. He's tougher. He's stronger. So Megatron's down. Prime goes, and, and Cup actually says, uh, you know, finish him, Prime. Do it now which is a little bit bloodthirsty. It's a little bit like, ooh. <laughs> and what's interesting is, suppose none of the stuff with Hot Rod or whatever happened, 
what Prime, because what Prime does is he grabs his gun and just sticks it up, points it at Megatron. But he doesn't just start blasting. Like, he holds it and waits. And I think that's partly because, technically, it's not obvious that Prime's the kind of guy that would, after he defeats Megatron in the battle, is just going to pick up his gun and, and kill him. You know, once the immediate threat is is over. Just like, you know, Superman doesn't kill people typically. You know, he like he wins the he wins the situation and then does something with the guy, but you're not too worried that he's gonna just kill the guy once he's been neutralized. But what happens is Megatron sees a gun that's like hidden from Prime's view. It's like under a rock or something. And so he says, No more Optimus Prime, mercy, I beg of you. Cause he's just buying time to try to grab that gun. And then, you know, Prime is like, you, who are without mercy, now ask for it. I thought you were made of sterner stuff. And Hot Rod sees what's happening. And incidentally, Cup had earlier told Hot Rod to stay away, lad. Right? Because Hot Rod came up when they were first fighting. He says, I got to help Prime. And Cup says, stay away, lad. That's Prime's fight. So again, just showing the wisdom. If Cup, or sorry, if Hot Rod had listened to Cup then, Prime would have lived. Okay? And so keep that in mind, because later I'm going to point out he does listen to Cup's advice. So it's showing that Hot Rod is learning from his mistakes. And that, you know, because earlier he was kind of making fun of Cup as an old timer and stuff. And so right here at this moment, Cup gave him advice and Hot Rod ignored it. And then ended up getting Prime killed because he runs up, he goes, no, you don't, Megatron. And he jumps and tries to stop Megatron from grabbing the gun. And then Prime goes, out of the way, Hot Rod! And Megatron grabs Hot Rod like as a hostage and stands up and just starts shooting Prime, and Prime just keeps getting crushed. What's interesting is, is Megatron's a good shot because he keeps hitting Prime with the gun exactly where that spike thing or whatever it was had gone in earlier. And so, you know, all the damage Megatron does in this fight is all right to the same spot. It's like the left part of Prime's waist. Um, Because that's where he hit him with the sword, too. So again, what the, notice what they're doing there. They're showing, obviously the story requires that Prime dies in this fight, but they can't just have Megatron beats Prime. That would, you know, that doesn't work. And so again, what they did is Prime defeated Megatron, clear cut. He went and got his gun. Megatron was a sitting duck. And then because Hot Rod jumped in front of them, Prime let Megatron kill him rather than risk hitting Hot Rod by firing in retaliation. And so again, just kind of showing what a leader Optimus Prime is and what his value system is that no, I mean, because for all he knows, as soon as Megatron kills him, he's going to turn and shoot Hot Rod in the face, right? So there's a sense in which, well, at this point, because Hot Rod's an idiot and jumped in, he's dead no matter what. I might as well Optimus Prime, you know, blast them both. So at least so I don't die. But that's not what he did. He just sat there and let Megatron pulverize him. Okay. And what's also interesting, too, is Megatron knew that. That's why he grabbed Hot Rod as a hostage, right? Like Prime wouldn't have grabbed uh, Thundercracker as a hostage, saying, oh, Megatron would never shoot at me if he might hit one of his own men. Like, no, Megatron would blast them. Megatron knew that, oh, Prime's the kind of guy that if I'm holding one of his team in front of me, he's not going to shoot at me. And there, there was actually a, um, a cool episode in the series 
where they got prime, they got the Autobots to leave Earth, and in the beginning, as Megatron said, Optimus's prime, Optimus Prime's weakness was his honor, and so they built a plan around that to you know to get the Autobots to agree under certain situations that they would leave Earth, and then the Decepticons used deception to engineer that outcome, and Prime was like, "Well, I said it, <laughs> you know, I gave my word, so we got to go." Okay. Just to underscore, I'll pick things up. And, and really, I, I've i gotten across most of what I want, so I'll just go through more quickly now and just make observations that jumped out at me. Um, just to underscore, again, the difference between the Decepticons and the Autobots. So Megatron is just like, oh, on the ground because Prime like knocked him off the cliff. And Starscream walks up and goes, how do you feel, mighty Megatron? And kicks him. And he says, Astro Train, transform and get us out of here. So they all get on. And what's funny is as they're getting in, I'm saying these things that in case you're inspired to go rewatch it. If you have young kids, you can say that you're watching it with them. But we both know what's going on. All right. And so when they get in, it's just hilarious. If you look at the animation, that they did a good job of just showing the Decepticons are glum as they're all piling into Astro Train. They were just like, oh, we got spanked. Let's get out of here. This is embarrassing. And what's also interesting is I think, um, except possibly for the Insecticons, um, I think everybody who's really down and out inside Astro Train had been personally defeated by Optimus. Okay. Next scene, you got Prime is, is dying. Again, this just showcases the difference between the Decepticons, the Autobots. They're all horrified and sad that their great leader is dying and their friend, whereas Starstream going up and kicking Megatron. And then in Astro Train, he says, we're too heavy. We got a jettison. And so that's how they leave in, in Starscream's holding Megatron and and says, uh, oh, it pains me to do this. And Megatron says, no, I still function. He says, want to bet? And just phew, sets him adrift into space. Okay, so that's how the Decepticons roll, and like I said, they fight for who's going to be the next leader. Meanwhile, back on Earth in Autobot City, Prime is dying, and he looks at Ultra Magnus, and he says, Ultra Magnus, old friend, it is to you that I hand over the Matrix of Leadership. Okay, so that's cool right there. There's that idea of, oh, there's a Matrix of Leadership that like has all the accumulated wisdom of the past Autobot leaders. Like That's a cool concept. And so the thing opens and Prime takes it out and he goes to hand it. And, and, but what's interesting is Ultra Magnus at first turns it down. And he says, I'm not worthy. I'm just a soldier. And then Prime says, as was I when it was first given to me or whatever. And, that, and then he says, an Autobot will rise from the ranks and light our, use the power of the Matrix to light our darkest hour. Okay, so it sounds like even though Prime is handing it to Ultra Magnus, that he knows Ultra Magnus is not going to be the long-run replacement. So I'm not certain if they were trying to show that that's what Prime meant by that. I mean, in other words, what Prime says is definitely true. You know, he's like giving a prophecy that gets fulfilled. But what I'm saying is, did Prime hand the Matrix to Ultra Magnus knowing full well that you're just going to be a temporary caretaker of this thing? It's, you know, so when you told me you're not worthy, I know you're not, but you hang on to this now and eventually an Autobot's going to rise from the ranks and it'll be clear. Oh yeah, that's the replacement for Prime. 
I'm not sure if he was saying that. So anyway, but what's interesting is, so he says that, and then Prime drops the Matrix because he just loses, you know, he, he's just done. And it's falling, and Hot Rod and Ultra Magnus both go to catch it so it doesn't fall on the floor. But Hot Rod actually is the one that catches it, right? So, of course, that's a lot of foreshadowing. But, again, showing how the Autobots roll, does Hot Rod run away and say, it's mine, the way Decepticon would? No. He stands up straight and holds it up to put it into Ultra Magnus's chest. Because, again, Hot Rod is lawful good. That's how the Autobots are. All right. Um, all right, so here's something that was interesting. The Decepticons are floating, meaning Megatron and some of the other ones that got jettisoned out of Astro Train when Astro Train said that he he didn't have enough fuel and we had it. We needed to, you know, get rid of some excess weight. So Unicron sees what's going on in Autobot City. Like he's got all these TV cameras inside of him, and they all show the scene of Prime Dine. And he goes, Rawr! like, so he's really upset. You don't know why at this point. Megatron and his team float up. And it's clear that Mega, uh, Unicron, it wasn't a coincidence. It's not like Unicron just happened to be behind Astrotrain. No, Unicron went and sought out them. And he, you know, says, Megatron, I've summoned you here. And so what's funny is two things. One is, at first, Megatron says, show yourself when, he, when Unicron's talking to him. So indicating that Megatron has no idea what he thinks Unicron is a ship. And he thinks there must be somebody inside this thing amplifying his voice and talking to me when not realizing that, no, the, this huge thing I'm talking to is the owner of that voice. So that's funny. Um, and then he says, nobody summons Megatron. And then Unicron just says that it pleases me to be the first. Right, I just thought that was classy. Like they, Orson Welles played it well, where he's just so powerful, like he doesn't need to, you know. He's and and then one other thing too is Megatron says, "Why? What's in it for me?" And he says, "Your bargaining posture is very dubious," or something like that. But then he still gives him a ship, right? So like Unicron is just so powerful, he's he, you know, he'll just like, fine. It's like, it's like he's dealing with a toddler or something. He's fine. You want to ship it here. I'll give you new bodies, give you minions. And here's a ship. Now go take out the matrix of leadership. Like I ordered you to. Okay. So it's interesting. The reason I, I mentioned that they didn't know clearly the Autobots and the Decepticons have never even heard of Unicron, which is just kind of interesting because the planet that he eats in the beginning, when the people look up and see like what's, you know, stuff is shaking. They look up and the guy goes, it's Unicron run for the shuttles or something. So those people certainly had known of them. Maybe, maybe it was just the idea being that that planet was really far away from Cybertron. And so like that was an area of the galaxy that Unicron had already been ravaging through or something. Who knows? But anyway, I just noticed that. Okay. Interesting. Again, Showing the difference. The Autobots have the matrix of leadership. Each recipient thinks, no, no, I'm not worthy. But, and then they're convinced, yes, you are. In contrast, on the Decepticon side, again, they were fist fighting inside Astrotrain. And then the next thing you see with them is Starscream's coronation. And he's standing there, and the, the Constructor Cons are blowing horns. And it's, it's funny. Like, Starscream shoots. I forgot to tell you that an earlier one was funny. 
when they're fighting over who's going to be the ruler and Soundwave says like, you know, Soundwave superior, Constructicons inferior. And then one of the Constructicons says like, no one would follow an uncharismatic boar like you. And then one of the, you know, the tape, the cassette tapes that comes out of Soundwave says, hey, nobody calls Soundwave uncharismatic. And he, you know, like, he butchers the word uncharismatic because he's kind of, he's not very bright. So anyway, it's it's just funny. Like I'm saying, like it's it's something that you know you'd have to be an adult to pick up on, whereas a little kid wouldn't get it. But it's you know anyway, it was it was clever. So and the same thing with Starscream in his coronation, he gets upset and he just blasts the horns and because it's taking too long. He goes, come on, come on, make me. Galatron shows up, uh, is unimpressed with the ceremony, and then. Starscream says, Megatron, is that you? And he says, here's a hint, and transforms into a cannon and kills him. And then uh, Galvatron just turns the rest of the Decepticons and says something like, does anyone else want to try to fill his shoes? And they're all just standing around, and then one of the Soundwave's little tape guys goes, what did he say his name was again? And they say, Galvatron. He goes, long live Galvatron. And everyone just, yeah. (laughs) So just showing that that's how the Decepticon ruler is chosen somebody shows up and just murders very quickly, you know, the previous person who had gotten them to agree that, okay, you're our ruler right now. And then they were just like, okay, I guess we're following this guy. Okay. So the Autobots hear about, I guess they get radioed from one of the moon bases, like where Spike and uh, Bumblebee are. And they see Unicron coming and they communicate that too. And it's interesting that, Spike actually swears. He said he says the SH word, which was not something that would have happened on the TV show, of course. Um, so that they, they realize they're in trouble. They used explosives and they think they take out Unicron. It's like, oh no, he didn't even get dented. So they contact Autobot City and and explain the situation. And they're, they're like, whoa, okay, how are we going to stop this thing? This thing munches planets. And then um, I think it's Ultra Magnus says well, let's just get up there and maybe the power of the Matrix can stop it. And Hot Rod just immediately goes, you're right, it can. And then somebody criticizes him, I forget who, for like, you don't know what you're talking about. Come on, let's get out of here. But again, my thing is just, again, showing glimpses of what Hot Rod's character is, that he has faith. He just instinctively knows. Yeah, that's what it is, because R.C. says, like, how could you possibly know? And he just says, I'm like, I don't know, I just have a feeling. Something like that. Like to just show that, yeah, he's got the right attitude and everything. He's just, he was a little reckless before. Oh, and what I wanted to say, I, I forgot to mention it. Hot Rod feels horrible. Like they really emphasize right after Prime, you know, knocks Megatron off the cliff and then go, oh, and, he, and he's too weak to stand. Hot Rod runs up and falls to his knees and says, Optimus, forgive me. Okay, so Hot Rod knows he's screwed up. And so arguably that event was a rite of passage for him. And maybe that's why all of a sudden he gets a lot more mature as the movie progresses. Like that was a major turning point that he saw. Oh, and like I said, like ignoring what cup said. Okay. So they're in the shuttle. They're going cup is telling war stories to the Dinobots, And it's just hilarious. That's what I'm saying. Like, I just forgot how cute some of these scenes were. So cup is sitting there, it was like the time on blah, blah, blah. And this, and, and Grimlock is, you know, tell Grimlock about Peter Rabbits again. And he's he's going through it. And he's like, Grimlock has an adorable voice as well. 
And so it's just very entertaining. And then Hot Rod is like doing uh, sword training with a with a bot or something. And he says, Cup, don't we have better things to be doing than telling stories? So again, just showing like that's not what you would have predicted from the beginning of the movie. That, oh yeah, there's going to come a point at which Cup is just sitting around telling stories, whereas Hot Rod is like training for for battle, knowing we're about to go into the toughest fight the Autobots have ever seen. Let's get ready for this, right? So kind of, again, a, a role reversal. All right, so now part of the indication that Ultra Magnus is not supposed to be leading the Autobots, they're getting attacked, and then they're in separate ships, and some the ship that Cup and Hot Runner and get shot or something. And the guy, it might be Springer, but I'm not sure about that, but the, the green Autobot says to Ultra Magnus, Cup and Hot Rod just bit it. And Ultra Magnus just says, I can't deal with that now. And he's focusing on, you know, so you have never, ever in the series saw someone go to Optimus Prime and say, hey, some Autobots over there and just got in serious trouble. And Prime saying in a flustered voice, I can't deal with that now. Like that's, that doesn't happen, right? That's not how Prime rolls. All right, so that's an indication. Shortly thereafter, Ultra Magnus says, prepare for uh, immediate separation where they're, what they're going to do is separate the, the front of their ship, like the command part, from the rest of it, and then let the Decepticons blow up the rest of the ships, thinking, oh, we killed them. That's the plan. And so he gives that order, and I think his Perceptor says, that's far too dangerous. And Ultra Magnus just says, well, what choice do I have? So again, not confidently saying this is the only chance we have or we we still need to do this, it's the right thing, whatever. Like some instead saying like oh, defensively, what choice like meaning like, well, what else are we gonna do? You know what I mean? Like I've been backed into this corner. This is no good out. So again, just showing the difference in command style, let's say. Okay. Um I'm skipping over some of the notes here. I don't need to dwell on all this stuff. It was interesting, the planet that Cup and Hot Rod are on, they had these, I think they called them Quinticons or something like that, where they they were like these really nasty hovering things with like long tentacle arms, and they had like five heads that would just swivel around, and you'd see different faces, and they would take their prisoners and put them out on a plank above a pit with you know water in it and shark cons and would say what do you find the defendant guilty or innocent talking to the i think he was called the imperial magistrate and it would rotate the head to a really creepy face and say innocent and then the trap door would go and they would fall to their death right so just like emphasizing like how creepy and there's one guy who's getting killed and it's it's sad because he's the last survivor of the planet that unicron ate at the beginning and so you're thinking, like, geez, the guy escapes from his, sees his whole planet get devoured by Unicron, but he's like the one guy that gets away. And then he gets caught by these horrifying creatures that hold him in a cell and then put him on this bogus trial where they say he's innocent and then execute him. And so, but he's cool. Like, right as he's going down, he says, Spare me this mockery of justice or something like that. And then they kill him. Okay, so. Ultra Magnus, Galvatron's coming down to take him out. And Ultra Magnus is trying to open the Matrix, and it won't open. And he says, open, damn it. 
completely flustered, and then he gets wasted, and the Decepticons get it. So again, just showing that's not the guy who's supposed to be leading the Autobots. All right, so just a few more observations here, and I'll wrap up. So later, in contrast, so Ultra Magnus gets wasted, Megatron gets the Matrix. In contrast, on the other planet, Hot Rod is just lighting it up. He he saves himself from the situation. He goes and saves Cup and like reassembles him, and they go in. So he so he's just he's rising more and more in prominence, and like he's more and more of a person, gradually influencing events as far as the Autobots are concerned. And ultimately, they get back on a ship and. There's a cute thing with Grim, Grimlock with this little boy that helps them find Cup and Hot Rod. Oh, even there. So they get condemned too. And the, you know, the floating thingies say they're innocent and they fall. And it's a bad situation. Like they're getting dropped into a into a pool with like 50 Sharker cons. But they don't panic. They transform and just start driving around this, you know, the edge of the circumference of the pool, and that causes the water to rise. And that's how they get out. So very clever, like not panicking. So again, just showcasing Ultra Magnus got taken out and these guys are escaping uh, the clutches of death. So anyway, the little boyish, they're all robots that interacts with Grimlock. It's just funny that Grimlock is like, me no like you. And then the boy shoots a slingshot, bounces off Grimlock's nose. He goes, why boy hitting my nose? So anyway, again, it's just funny. I realized as I was what I think he's modeled after Cookie Monster. Like, like that's the kind of personality he has. So just like Cookie Monster, like how can you not like Cookie Monster? It's like how can you not like Grimlock? <laughs> so that's I think what maybe they were going for. Okay, so anyway, um, Cup and Hot Rod and the Dinobots get on a ship. They come, and at this point, um. Hot Rod uses the technique that Cup had earlier showed him. And what's really interesting, Cup showed him and said, oh, it's a universal greeting. Let's give him some Energon cubes to the Sharkercons. And they said they eat all their Energon treats and then still take him into custody. So it would have looked like Cup's advice was bad because he was saying, no, no, trust me, lad. We'll just use the, the universal greeting, and that's how we'll win their favor. And yet not only did, did Hot Rod not dismiss the evidence but he went back and implemented it because then again, when they came on this other planet where ultra Magnus, I think this is the junk planet. He comes out and it's like, Oh, what are we going to do? Cause all these junk dealers come out like with the Errol, Eric idol guy and all his subordinates. Actually they do, they do fight them for a while, but then they're just totally outnumbered. And then hot rod is the one who saves the day by um, doing the universal greeting and, and then the you know, Eric Idle's character responds in kind. So again, just showing that he internalized the lessons now that Cup was teaching him, even though on the surface it looked like Cup's lesson was stupid. And then they put Ultra Magnus together. But even there, it's interesting. I didn't even realize it until I just said it. I think at that point, Ultra Magnus was still disassembled. They thought he was dead. And then it's when Hot Rod wins over everybody on that on that planet. And then those guys, now that they're friends, it's kind of like when... uh. Luke and those guys and Leia, whatever, got the Ewoks to be friends with them, and then all of a sudden it was a big party. That's kind of like the vibe that this had. That at first, uh oh, but then once they won them over, it was a big party. 
And among other things, like, oh, here, we'll fix your friend. And they put together Ultra Magnus. So I just realized as I was telling you folks this, that that's partly, that vacuum is what allowed Hot Rod to kind of take control of the situation. Because I think if Hot or if uh, Ultra Magnus had been fine, and, they, and the same group of Autobots was all standing there, and they were surrounded by these junk dealer guys, everyone would have just waited and deferred to Ultra Magnus's call. Like, okay, well, what are we going to do? What's our posture going to be? And so, but here, because Ultra Magnus was out of commission, it wasn't obvious who was even in charge. And so I think that's why Hot Rod rose to the challenge, rose from the ranks, you might say, and said, oh, the universal greeting. And then, you know, he speaks in what to us sounds like some foreign language. And then Eric Idle's character responds in kind. Okay. Going along with that, even after I think Ultra Magnus is restored, um, they learn about uh, that, oh, the Matrix is gone. What do we do? And they say, oh, but it's with Galvatron. And then I think it's Hot Rod who says, well, then where's Galvatron? Like Meaning like, well, okay, that's obvious. Okay, if, if the Matrix of Leadership is with Galvatron, then we go to wherever Galvatron is. Like, duh. And again, just showing like he's got the right fearlessness and attitude and he, he knows what the answer is. What's also interesting is Unicron is very upset by this situation. And so I think that that's showing Unicron knows that Hot Rod is a threat. Whereas Unicron is not afraid of Galvatron. That's interesting too that I noticed. Because at any time, Unicron can just like make this red, these red lights zing around uh, Galvatron and cause him physical torture. And But yet my, Galvatron puts the matrix around his neck and flies back as if you know he's going to do something to Unicron. And Unicron's not afraid of him and even kind of lets him shoot his mouth off for a while. And I think it's because... You know, Galvatron goes to open it, and it, he can't. And I think Unicron knew that, but that, but he he does. I forget exactly what it was, but it made me jot down that Unicron knows that Hot Rod is still a threat. Um, because again, I th- I think it's kind of like like who's worthy to pick up Thor's hammer. I think Unicron knows. Yep, the Matrix of Leadership is a threat to me, but only certain people can activate it, and this guy Hot Rod, I sense, is one of those people. And just to wrap it up in there, Galvatron's choking him. He's got the thing hanging down, and then Hot Rod opens it, and the music kicks in, and you got to touch. And Optimus says, rise, Rodimus Prime. And he says, Optimus. And then, and then he just gets physically bigger. But it's still him. And then he says, this is the end of the road, Galvatron. And his voice, you know, it's still his voice, but it's just a little deeper and more confident and more serious. Because that's the thing is Optimus Prime, among other things, was deadly serious all the time. <laughs> and so that's just sort of, you know, he has this gravitas. And so that's the difference between Hot Rod's voice and Rodimus Prime's voice. And when he transforms, he's more, he's not like a, a minivan, but he's just a bigger vehicle. He's not the Hot Rod that he was originally, but it's yet still him. So, you know, then he just chucks Galvatron out of the thing. And that's the thing, too. I think it's partly the reason he can defeat Galvatron is because he knows he can, right? Like, part of why Galvatron is so tough is because he's so scary. But if you're not afraid of him and you just know that, no, I got this guy, that you can defeat him. And then again, as I say, when he comes out, Cup says, 
I always knew you had potential boy or a promise boy, something like that. So, and just everybody now realizes, yep, this is, this is the leader. Even Ultra Magnus knows that, yep, this is the guy who's in charge now. And, and there's no animosity about, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's in charge. So everybody's happy. He's the right guy. And what's interesting is I remember there's a, a cartoon episode that came out after this movie and the Decepticons, I forget like if Galvatron was out of the scene or what, but they were, they were wondering like, what are we going to do for our leader? And one of them just said, matter of fact, they're like, Oh, the Autobots used to have a great leader, you know, because at this point, so it was just interesting. They didn't say Rodimus prime is a great leader. They just said, no, the Autobots used to have a great leader. You know, it's just showing that everybody, recognizes that among other things like optimus prime was an amazing leader and to the end last thing i'll say i forgot to mention it the dinobots so they're super tough but if you ever saw the origin episode where they get created in that episode at first their allegiance is uncertain like they because also they get across that they're not very bright like that's why they talk like me grimlock that's why he talks like that like they've established they have really small reptilian brains um and so their allegiance is divided and they go and they're thinking about joining the decepticons and what brings them back is prime goes and i forget the exact scenario but the dinobots are actually in trouble and prime puts risks his own life to make sure they're saved and then grimlock sees that and can recognize and he even says words of that effect i think saying like okay this guy just almost sacrificed himself to save us let's let's follow this guy and so again just showing the, the leader that optimus prime is and that why his team follows him as opposed to who the decepticons are and why they defer to either megatron or galvatron it's just completely different value system and mindset and as the movie would suggest the autobots made the right choice even though in the short run it seems riskier and foolish to sacrifice your, to be willing to sacrifice yourself to save your comrades in the long run. The team that thinks like that when they're working together is going to have a higher success rate and, you know, survival rate than the team that's composed of people who are self-seeking. In conclusion, just remember, kids, you've got the touch. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Catch you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.